the Fire Within Podcast. You need a sustainable plan, the right mindset, and the knowledge and inspiration to stoke the fire within. Just like the Phoenix, you can burn your old habits, never turn back, and emerge completely anew. There are no shortcuts. Welcome Fire Within community. This is the Fire Within podcast where we talk about all things health, fitness, and nutrition related. We're I'm a community a, now. We're a community now. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And that's in honor of the uh, Facebook community group we're going to be launching very soon where you can find out all kinds of fun information, talk to other people who think like we do and, and get uh, good information. You can ask questions and I'll be doing some lives. Lives. And today we have a very special guest. Her name is Alexis. Elias Spahn, and she is a pelvic floor physical therapist. I am. So we're going to talk about your junk. Started <laughs> <laughs> it off perfectly. <laughs> all right. So Alexis, tell us a little bit about what you do, and, and then we're going to spiral off into all kinds of fun conversations. Good. Perfect. I love tangents. So I am a physical therapist and I specialize in pelvic floor physical therapy. And so basically any type of therapy, if you're having any type of bladder dysfunction, bowel dysfunction, or sexual dysfunction. So this kind of runs across the board to many different issues. One of the most common things I'll see is like urinary incontinence. Sometimes you pee your pants when you jump. A lot of women have this after they have a baby to painful intercourse, a constipation, and then just all the general like hip stuff. Like my hips are really tight. My glutes are really weak. Getting all of that order. Yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's just go ahead and start off with something nuts. So I actually have had several clients and I'm probably going to sell this. I'll say this wrong uh -huh. with painful sex and it was some kind of vaginismus. Does that sound yeah, right? Yeah. Vaginismus. Um, uh -huh. So I think a lot of people more than you'd have conversations with struggle. It probably doesn't just come up. Like, how's your day? Well, yeah, pretty good. This is okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I bet there's more listeners with that issue than, than would, are willing to admit it. Can you talk to us yes, a little bit about absolutely. that issue? What's going on? And Yeah. Yes. Coincidentally, like when I first got into pelvic health, like I thought I was going to mainly see this whole pregnancy postpartum pelvic floor weakness. And I quickly found out that the most of my population was more like this, not specifically vaginismus, but like painful intercourse. So I would say either vaginismus or too much recruitment of the pelvic floor muscles, just too much tension in that region. So I'd say at least a minimum of half my caseload was that type of thing. And it really is just a uh, more like tension within those muscles. So there, there's obviously physical components, but there's the psychological components too. I'll see a lot of young women actually with this and they, some of it, we can go back to, okay, how are we trained or untrained as women growing up? And let me tell you about your bodies and how they work. And they, we don't really get any good information. And a lot of women hear, okay, the first time you have a sex, it's going to hurt. And so then when the second time it hurts and the third time it hurts and the fourth time you start to think, oh, that's just normal. Maybe this is just painful. And then the more it hurts, the more your body overguards. And so vaginismus is basically the vagina is like closed. I don't want anything in here. Like this hurts. I don't want to do anything. Yeah. And let's back up for a second and give our listeners a little bit more background. What the heck is your pelvic floor? <laughs> All right. Perfect. Your pelvic floor is this little bowl of muscles at the base of your pelvis. And it's going to be what's responsible for all of those functions within that region. So we think the reproductive tract, the urinary tract, the GI tract is all housed in there and all jammed in that region. It supports all of those contents and it's going to relax and contract to let that those things function normally. Letting the urine out, letting the feces out allowing for penetration, allowing for orgasm, all those, all the pelvic floor muscles are going to be responsible and they have to be able to contract efficiently, but also relax efficiently and effectively. 
Now, what types of things go wrong to make this too tight? What are the physical things people are doing day to day that lead to this imbalance or whatever you would call it, mm. for, specifically for vaginismus? Yeah, so I, I feel like the a big thing is starts with breath. So a lot of us aren't really breathing through our diaphragm and taking that big, deep inhale. Every time you inhale the way you're supposed to, which is puffing kind of the belly out, your pelvic floor lowers and relaxes. And then as you expel all that air, it rises back up. Most of us breathing through our chest. So we're not really engaging through our diaphragm. And then holding, sucking your belly in all the time. We're self-conscious of yeah. it. Yeah, we don't want to let it hang out. So we're sucking it in and we're not really contracting those muscles the way now, we're, we're meant to. And I do want to back up just uh, a second. You were talking about diaphragmatic breathing. And uh, there's a huge tie-in with the exercise portion. This is the stuff I yeah. do understand. I don't know the yeah. pelvic floor side as much. but uh, So I always have my clients, when they're lift, doing the lifting portion, I want them to exhale so that diaphragm gets out of the way so that the transverse abdominis can tighten more so they have better right. stability. So just since we were talking about the diaphragm, uh, a lot of people go, do I breathe in? Do I breathe out? Why and when? I personally teach to exhale during the difficult part for yeah. that core stability. Exhale on exertion. As a pelvic floor specialist, is that appropriate? Yes. that I tell people exhale on exertion too because cool. you're stabilizing that yeah. region. Because with super heavy lifting, another technique is a Valsalva's maneuver which I've done and I can lift more and I do have more stability, but I ended up with a hemorrhoid. Yeah. yeah and, you don't. and so yeah, I don't right. teach that way. <laughs> uh, it was great. I'm like, I added 80 pounds to my deadlift, but now my butt hurts. Right. So yeah. it wasn't worth it. Um, Problematic. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and the other thing I was going to mention with the diaphragm part and how it also connects with stress and depression is if you're never breathing into your diaphragm and you're constantly have the short, shallow breath, norepinephrine and adrenaline raises, and that can increase anxiety and depression. So telling your body to get into fight or flight mode, it's sensing there's some kind of stressor and it's not enough oxygen to the bloodstream. So I never thought about that leading to like painful intercourse and all these other problems. Right. So yeah. anyway, go ahead. That was a big tangent. That's perfect. I would tell people like, if you're going to do one thing for your pelvic floor, learn how to breathe the right way. Yeah. So it's, it's as simple as, and it, especially for people who are avid exercisers, it's like, really, you're going to tell me to breathe as part of the program. But I'm like, yes, you need to learn how to breathe the right way. So at least I'll say five minutes before you go to bed, five minutes, put your legs up, breathe through your belly, feel the belly expand and come back in. And then you could coordinate that with a Kegel. Kegel, Kegel, tomato. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Not that on a t-shirt. <laughs> That's the show episode title. Kegel, Kegel, tomato, tomato. <laughs> That's the show episode like title. I How do you explain... Um, First, uh, eventually tell, tell us what a Kegel is. And right, then, right, right. Before that, let's go back to breathing. How yeah. do you tell your client, and in full disclosure, she's working with my wife. She's doing an awesome job. Um, she is lovely. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but, but how do you teach breathing personally? So what? So I will first just get the breath pattern right, like hands on chest and belly, deep breath in, fill the belly, expand. You want expansion through your belly and then also laterally uh, through your rib cage as well. So sometimes I'll even have people put like a little TheraBand around the rib cage and feel themselves breathe into that. So that's first step. And then once we start to teach Kegel or Kegel, I usually say Kegel, then I try to coordinate that width. So what you would do is big deep breath in and you're relaxing your pelvic floor and then expel all that breath and your belly sucks in at the end of the exhale, do a little squeeze or a Kegel. So a Kegel is just a contraction of the pelvic floor. So to locate that, those muscles, it would be like you would either stop your urine stream or stop a fart. <laughs> hey, that's, that's <laughs> I mean, because like I, I try to describe both ways too, because if you're just thinking of stopping your urine stream, that's more in the front of the pelvic floor. 
Where, whereas like that bowl of muscles, like really the anus is right in the middle of it. So you want to visualize both of those to get the whole pelvic floor. It's almost like a sink basin mm-hmm, with mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. drain being your butthole. Yes. Yeah. But what are the benefits of Kegel? Depends on, depends on, they're very beneficial, <laughs> first of all. But so I will say not everyone needs to be Kegeling. So a lot of people have too much tension in their pelvic floor. So they actually have, the vaginismus one. So they have to actually learn how to relax their pelvic floor. So I think of the Kegel as more of this, like being able to fully contract, but then also being able to fully relax. And so if you're strong and functional within there, you're going to have normal, um, normal, like urinary patterns and like normal pooping and um, able to function sexually as well. Now, my clients who struggle with constipation, could that mm-hmm. be related to tight pelvic floor muscles? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, kind of not really knowing when to contract and relax. So a lot of people with constipation have this thing, it's like dysynergia. So the muscles don't know when to relax and contract. And the pelvic floor and the bladder and rectum have these opposite relationships. So the pelvic floor needs to be able to relax to let the poop out, let the pee out. So if the pelvic floor is over tense all the time. The bladder and the rectum can get a little bit confused as when's it my turn? You're always contracted. I, d- I don't know when yeah. I'm supposed to let this stuff out. Yeah, and that's a really big problem uh, for women, especially. I think estrogen could build up and create hormonal imbalances if mm-hmm. you're constipated. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's diet related, but I had a client where we did everything we could nutritionally and we weren't, you know, we got a squatty potty too. Yeah. Um, so it's I, really think, important. I think the missing piece was maybe this really tight pelvic floor which yeah. at the time I had no knowledge of, I didn't, know, I didn't even know you guys existed. And other than hearing a yoga teacher say pelvic floor and I kind of giggle inside because I'm a child, <laughs> um, I, I never understood the integration with what I work with clients and, and the connection with things like constipation. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, with the like constant, so you like squatty potty is a great thing. So postural, like unkinking the colon. I love the squatty potty commercials too. too. I'm like, they're so accurate and with the unicorn poop. And <laughs> yes, I, I can never see soft serve the same way. Now. So that's like a great component. And then also breath on the potty. If you need to relax your pelvic floor, I'll encourage people, okay, do some of that diaphragmatic breathing. And then also pretending like you're blowing bubbles, like I don't know if you can hear that in the mic. <laughs> um, or blowing raspberries, it relaxes all of that region. There. Yeah. So I can that can help with um, pooping as well. That's very interesting. I had no idea. And I may tell more of my clients about that. Yeah, just use your squatty potty and do some deep breaths. And Yeah. And if any of you guys listening are struggling with a lot of these issues, I know a great pelvic floor physical therapist. Oh, you'll have to give me her number. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a little something like that. Something. Yeah. Not to be confused with Alexa, because then all the electronics go off. <laughs> <laughs> you just ruined everybody's day. Oh, goodness. <laughs> so we talked a little bit about incontinence-type stuff. If women sneeze or jump and urinate a little bit, mm-hmm. what kinds mm-hmm. of things can you help them with to fix that? Yeah, the first would be, I would, I would teach them would be like the pelvic brace. So this is just learning how to manage pressure. So when you increase interabdominal pressure, like a cough, a laugh, or a sneeze, or even rising sit to stand, leaning over to bend and pick something up. You get into this habit of contracting the pelvic floor, so doing that Kegel, and then also sucking the belly in, squeezing the butt, squeezing the thighs, almost like you're zipping up a tight pair of pants. And you squeeze everything really tight before you increase that pressure to provide that support. Because otherwise, if we could visualize this, you have your bowl of muscles there. If it's really like loose and you increase pressure, it's like you're punching down on the pelvic floor. So you might be leaking then in that part, in that uh, instance. But if you hold it really taut, it absorbs that pressure. So that would be first step. 
And then if there's a weakness issue, which you would do a pelvic floor assessment to determine, okay, can you contract or Kegel and can you relax? And then if it's weak, teach them some strengthening. Additionally, like working for strengthening, working through the TA and making sure that's nice and strong and the hips, particularly the glutes, because most people have weak glutes because they sit all day. Yeah. Yeah. You probably see a lot of that. Yeah, especially glute medius. Yeah. Compensation <laughs> of the piriformis. Yes. So. And then, then a lot of people have, with going back to tension, they have this hypertonicity or over-recruitment in the pelvic floor because the glutes, specifically meat and men, are really weak. So it's like those stabilize your pelvis. If those are super weak, then your pelvic floor is this helper muscle. It over-contracts to stabilize from the inside out. And then that's another reason you could have this too much tension within the pelvic floor. You know, in Bible study or Sunday school, the answer to everything was Jesus. <laughs> I feel like in my industry, the answer to everything is strengthen your glutes. It like, is, yeah. yeah. So now it could even help with some of the sexual dysfunctions and things like mm-hmm. that. I said, that's something else I just learned this very second is that yeah. weakness in the glute medius could be potentially causing incontinence and sexual dysfunction. I had yeah. no idea. I've read an article once that said the the glutes and the pelvic floor are besties. They, yeah. They've got to be strong together. They help each other. Yeah. <laughs> and who doesn't want a nice booty? Got to work it. Absolutely. <laughs> Is there a specific different way to strengthen your pelvic floor if you're a man or if you're a woman? Or is it the same? Yeah, it's across the board the same. It's Yeah, women are a little bit more aware, I think, of the pelvic floor just because periods and we have babies and yeah. all that stuff. So we have a little slight more awareness but that said maybe not but no you strengthen the same way i will say so i I feel like what i've seen through treating is most people have underlying tension and i will say men particularly if i'm going to see a male who has pelvic pain or pelvic dysfunction it's normally because of too much tension so there's been like a craze lately especially about a young amongst younger men do your kegels kegel all the time it's going to make the sex great and it's maybe not necessarily it's good to know where those muscles are but A lot of men have too much tone there. It's you got to be able to have both. So on the male side, what can it cause to to be too tight? The your pelvic floor can be too tight. And so like symptoms that can manifest same as constipation could be one, but urinary frequency. So if you're peeing all the time, oftentimes that is indicative of too much tension in the pelvic floor. So we're talking about that whole inverse relationship between bladder and pelvic floor. So if you're all if you're so tense there, sometimes that could mimic feeling like you have to pee. And yeah. there's not really urine in there that has to. And then once you get that signal off between the bladder and the brain, it, it, it gets confused on, well, when is the bladder actually full? Because you're emptying it sooner than it needs to be emptied. So then like the little line goes down and so normally it could hold this much. Now I, the bladder thinks I can only hold eight ounces now, even though I should be able to hold more of that. So it confuses signal timing. <laughs> Hey, Fire Within Nation, has this ever happened to you? You go online to find a quick recipe for mashed potatoes, but first you have to hear about Grandfather's Farm in 1929. When I was a boy. <laughs> the first time you had a potato, and like six and a half chapters later, you get to the ingredient list. Tasted like dirt. Drives me nuts. So me and Joe have worked to solve that issue for you. If you head to firewithinnf.com and check out the recipe section, healthy recipes, following the Fire Within way. And it's just the recipe, no blog, you're welcome. You'll find recipes like steak chimichurri. There's a bananas foster smoothie recipe. There's a sourdough French toast. Lots of healthy things. Make your own ranch dip and, and tons more. So head to firewithinnf.com. Check out the recipe section and enjoy. Did you know that Fire Within works with companies and organizations that might benefit from a health course? 
Brandon's health course, Health Transformation, can be applied to your company and custom tailored to meet your company's needs. You could supply it as something from your HR department or just a gift by giving access to everyone in your company to the course. If that's you and you're interested, go to firewithinnf.com on the homepage. Look for corporate partnerships. The views and opinions expressed on this show are not meant to be used as medical advice. Consult your doctor before implementing any health or exercise changes. The Fire Within encourages you to do your own research and aims to spark interest and motivation to a healthier lifestyle. We talked about with women sucking in and being self-conscious of their bellies mm-hmm. and that being some of the contributions. Is it the same for men? Could it be where they wear their belt? What are some of the other? Yeah, I think that men can have some of those body things as well, yeah, certainly. And I think really... the breath really comes in. Yeah, because I was a fat kid, so I always grew up sucking my belly. And I looked yeah, ridiculous, yeah. but I thought I was <laughs> so. No, I think that's, and stress and anxiety too. Especially, uh, I see a, a strong correlation between like TMJ. So if someone circles on their intake form TMJ, I'm like, oh, too much tone in your pelvic floor. Because if you're clenching here, you're probably clenching down there too. Now, oh, how about being seated with I mean, tightening of the hip flexors and weakening? Yeah, the yeah. Certainly when you're sitting all the time, the hip flexors tighten and then the glutes are super weak. So you just create this imbalance. And like I said before, the pelvic floor is just, it's really a helper muscle. So it's going to help whenever it needs to be. So if your hips are really tight and your glutes are really weak, it's going to try to make up for some of that. You mentioned the ways that you can help improve the strength of your pelvic floor through breathing and as well as Kegels. What about stretching? What other kind of things go into a healthy pelvic floor? Yeah. So when I'm assessing, I was primarily in orthopedics for 10 years before I specialized in pelvic. So I always include, and I think it should be included more of an orthopedic assessment too. So I think anything from the Lower ribs to like mid-thigh. Let's see what's going on in that entire region. Tension in the diaphragm, releasing the diaphragm. I do a lot of skin rolling through the abdomen to reduce some of that fascia. That Mm. piece of fascia goes all the way down into the pelvic floor. So if you're working through the abdomen, it breaks up some of that. Um, And then low back. A lot of times the back is really stiff. So some mobilization to the lumbar spine, to the sacrum, the sacred, like the hip joint there, if that's really tense. And then muscle testing all of the like hip flexors, hip extenders, rotators, especially. Some of the rotators sit really deep into the pelvic floor so you can palpate them externally and internally. So releasing tight muscles and strengthening weak muscles all within that region is going to create more balance. And then the breath work, obviously, too, and TA. I have a question. When we're doing all these corrective types of exercises, we're consciously trying to make it perform properly. How long does it take and does it ever get to the point where subconsciously it does what it's supposed to? Yeah, I think it does. It could take some time because most people coming to me have breathed the wrong way their whole lives and uh, have had that weakness. So muscle changes is basic from training. It really takes about six to eight weeks to really see muscular changes as far as strength specifically. But yeah, those habits, if you could get into that habit every single day, it can correct itself. Timeline, I'm going to be like a normal medical provider and say it depends on the patient. (laughs) which I know I hate that answer, but it really is. And a lot of the treatments that I give, you're not going to have to do forever. Even with the Kegel, if you were just straight weakness, let's say, and I'd say you're going to do 60 daily Kegels a day, every single day, you're not going to have to do that forever. Once you have built up your strength, then I say, okay, you want to maintain this, but maybe just three days a week, three sets of 10 kind of thing. Yeah. Now, what can somebody expect when they do an exam with you? Because I know you also do like a manual uh, for women, like even an internal exam. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Can you mm -hmm. explain this process, what you're looking for, what you're feeling for? Yeah, absolutely. um, And what would they experience? 
So first, I always start with like more of an orthopedic exam. So I want to look at the mobility in the spine, all the muscles within the pelvis externally. Big one is that abdominal fascia to see how well it moves. And if there's been any type of abdominal surgery in the past, a lot of times that scar tissue can impair movement and then make a lot of things a little wonky. And then even a gait assessment, posture assessment, and breath assessment. So internally, so if you want to feel the muscles within the pelvic floor, you do an internal assessment. So for women who've had like a gynecological exam, they have an idea, except it's no speculum. So it's all a digital assessment and it's to test muscular strength and function. Basically, you visualize your pelvic floor as that bowl, but like a clock. So your pubic bone is 12 o'clock and the anus is six o'clock. You stop on each point to to make sure that everything feels the way it's supposed to feel, especially with tension, because sometimes you'll push on a spot and it feels really tense and the patient will be like, that feels um, tense or slight pain. And then you get like this idea of, okay, where are your trigger points within the pelvic floor? And then as far as your muscular strength, you're going to see how well they can Kegel, so how strong they can hold that, and just as important, how well they can relax. So people with tension, they'll Kegel a little bit, and then you say relax, and they hang on there. And we'll use the classic like biceps example of, okay, if my bicep is contracted already and I say to contract, it's going to seem like I'm weak because I don't have that range I'm working through. So we want to see how well you can contract the muscle and then how well you can then relax the muscle. So it's like strength and flexibility and then the coordination of how you can do those two. And I would say even with the breath, like if I try to cue people to do the breath with the Kegel, you could see, okay, are they doing this the correct way? Am I feeling a little rise of the pelvic floor and then a little lowering of the pelvic floor? Most people are just stuck in one position. And then after a couple visits, they've corrected and I say, okay, do those deep breaths now. And you can feel everything being the way it's supposed to. Yeah. It's crazy how it, it does happen. Like Pretty quickly, but like you, you have to do it all the time. Now how about for a male? What would an exam for a male look like? There's only one way in. So <laughs> <laughs> it can be a little jarring for the men. So I always say, this is how I would assess the pelvic floor. It would be a rectal assessment. Similar kind of visual as far as pubic bone, 12 o'clock, anus, 6 o'clock. And you work around that bowl the same way and you say, okay, do a Kegel, relax the Kegel and see where the tone lies, where if there's any pain, where the pain lies and same, see how coordinated they are how flexible they are and how strong they are. So this could be really important for men like after maybe like a prostate. Men after prostate surgery, for sure. And yeah, just learning how to manage the pressure after that and how to normally contract the pelvic floor and relax. Um, And sometimes there's pain involved too, like post-prostate removal. You said a minute ago or a while back that the... It's more about balance than it is about building muscle. And yeah. you made a joke that guys are like, Kegels are going to make sex is great because that's the way we're, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's muscles down there. I got to make them huge. Muscle. It's pain. Hypertrophy. <laughs> Look at my pelvic floor. <laughs> but uh, but I'm dumb. So I think the, uh, the question that I had is how do you know that you're in balance? Like how do you know that you're in the right thing? And what are the triggers that somebody who's listening could be listening for to be like, oh, maybe I need to go see a professional like you or start mm-hmm. doing Kegels regularly, or I'm in the right spot. Yeah, I think that pain is a, a thing that kind of drives people to me. And it's this pain of, I don't know why this hurts. I, it doesn't make any sense. So like for men, they might have pain with erection or 
like any actually any type of erectile dysfunction too. Testicular pain. I seen I saw one patient really early on who came in for testicular pain, and he went to the hospital because he thought he had like torsion or something like that. And then they oh, that's no fun. Yeah, they he didn't have that. They ran like a billion tests because they thought it was an STD or an STI. None of that, and they had no answer for him. Somehow or another, I he must have just done his own research. He found me. Like oh. He may have had a friend, maybe they discussed. I can't remember. And so he came to me and so I explained to him like what I do and what it would entail. And he was not, you know, super, super comfortable with the pelvic floor assessment. I said, well, there's other things we can do. We don't have to do. Well, who would be excited about I mean, a pelvic floor assessment? <laughs> it's like time for your ghostbusters. That's yeah. a whole different kind of patient you want to yeah. avoid completely. There are other things we could do. Of course, it's it's beneficial to know what's happening there. But I guess my point to this is that we just did abdominal skin rolling because that fascia goes down into the pelvic floor and can create all that tension, can create tugging and pulling in that region. And we did a ton of low back stuff and abdominal rolling and SI movement and stretching all the different muscles in that region. It took away the pain. We didn't even have to get into the pelvic wow. floor. So, you know, so that doesn't have to be. Similar to a chiropractic practice in that people come regularly and over time they start to see benefits or is it yes. kind of, sometimes it's one and done? I don't. Yeah. I mean, it depends on what they're coming for. I will say pain. If they're coming for pain, that typically takes a bit of time. And some patients I'll see six to eight months. Typically I'll see patients weekly. And there's a lot of home stuff. So there's things that you're doing every day. Um, and like, like homework assignments. But some of them, especially postpartum, some of those can be like a one and done because it's just a matter of, oh, you're pretty weak in the pelvic floor. You've had this trauma. Let's teach you how to manage the pressure. Let's teach you a strengthening program. And then it's just this timeline of in the first two weeks postpartum, you do this. And the next two weeks, you do that. And it's more... Uh, it doesn't necessarily meet, need all of this one-on-one -on -one care. It's more time. It just takes some time and you have to do it at home. Yeah. Now, skin rolling, is that kind of like pinching? Yeah. Like kind of hold the skin and rolling your face? Yeah. Back? Yeah. And so it's pulling. So if you think of most like a deep tissue massage, it's pushing down on everything. So skin rolling kind of pulls up. Similar like with cupping and stuff yeah. like that. It's going to pull up on everything and reduce some of those fascial restrictions. I always think of fascial. I think one of your guests called it like saran wrap. And I, I like that analogy oh, yeah. too. So I, I will tell people it's like uh, pantyhose. So I don't know if either of you have yeah. ever worn pantyhose. Um, funny story. <laughs> <laughs> I was in, so I was in drum corps and it was a lot of, your uniform has to look solid. Everybody has to look the same. Uh -huh, so uh -huh. they came and we had white pants that uh -huh, you could almost uh -huh. see through. Oh, wow. So they didn't want underwear throwing, showing through. So like for five days, they convinced the corps to try, try on the That's when you know you're taking drum corps too seriously. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, so I ended up getting- You like, have to wear pantyhose. I ended up getting like horrible jock itch from, from <laughs> these stupid pantyhose. So I, like I, they had to pull the bus over so I can get medical help. And I oh, said, my I'm not getting these damn pantyhose again. And I- through a fit and never put them on again. But anyway. <laughs> well, so yes. Fortunately, yes. I'll never live that down. I haven't worn them on my legs, but I do remember once as a kid pulling them over my head like a bank robber. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we've all done that. I derail that train. Fascia called like sausage casing. Yeah. Or, yeah. That's a great it, example too. It covers the muscle and uh, the textbook anatomy trains is absolutely incredible resource. For most mm -hmm. people, you probably won't understand past chapter one. I'm pretty educated and I really struggled past chapter one. Yeah. It gets yeah. really medical, but um, that first chapter gives you just an extraordinary understanding of fascia and the role it plays in movement, biomechanics and all kinds. Yeah, it's such a role. I mean, head to toe, right? So yeah. you could have a restriction in one spot and then it, it just creates these imbalances and movement if you're stuck in a spot. 
So I see a lot of like I will say sticky fascia in the in the abdominal race. So I like to do a lot of scar work too. So especially like a woman who's had a cesarean section, like working on that scar can really help with any type of pain really, but like pelvic floor dysfunction and like hip pain. Sometimes that's where it's coming from is just that those adhesions in there. Now, how would you describe an adhesion in fascia? What would they know to look for? Um, sometimes you could feel like things like don't move the right way or you just feel tense. Oh, I can move this way better than that. So mobility restrictions. Mobility restrictions more. And then if there's a scar around, if you push like above and below the scar, move it side to side, a lot of times you could tell oh, it moves more to this direction than that. So you say, okay, like it's restricted in that way. Okay. So the fascia covers, what, the abdominals next? Yeah, I mean, fascia is all. Well, yeah, in, all. in terms of the stomach, because you, you mentioned several times rolling yeah, the yeah. belly. Um, yeah. So. It extends in the abdomen, like all the way down into your pelvic floor. Okay, because it's all connected. Yeah, because it's, so it's all connected. Um, and then under the abdominals, you have the transverse abdominus. Under that is the diaphragm and then more of the pelvic floor. Yeah. And multifidi and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, okay. yeah. Good anatomy. Yeah, <laughs> woohoo. Yeah, so it's got, you know. And the green grass grows all around it. Yeah. Tree in the whole. That was, I had two cesareans. So that was what took me to pelvic PT and made me learn all about it. Because I didn't, I knew it existed, but I, I was doing orthopedic therapy. And I was like, after my second cesarean, so I had a first cesarean and then I tried to be back for the second one. It didn't really happen. In hindsight, I wish I had gotten a lot of scar work done. After my first one, because you don't really know until you go in there. And so then they went in there for the second one. And it made sense based on my labor pains that everything was just like tightened up. So my rectus was adhered to my uterus. My uterus was adhered to my bladder. And so everything's just stuck. Yeah. And so supposedly they unstuck everything. Uh, <laughs> after my second cesarean, which my daughter's like seven and a half-ish or so now, I had my own pelvic floor dysfunction. And I was like, well, I feel like someone can help me with this. Like I'm a physical therapist. I've heard of pelvic floor therapists. And uh, yeah, I went in to see her and did a few things and improved and didn't really think about it again until like I moved down to North Carolina and I thought I want to do something a little bit different than just orthopedics. And so got into pelvic floor physical therapy and just loved it. It just felt like this missing link to a lot of dysfunction that happens and a lot of those issues that are not talked about and people can get help for. And it's a, it's a very rewarding field to be in because a lot of people come into me that are feeling a little bit hopeless and I don't, nothing's going to help this, especially when there's pain involved. And to be able to help them with that is amazing. Yeah. And not just the pain part, but the relationship part. Uh, yeah. I know yeah. for a lot of couples that painful intercourse, that could be devastating on a relationship. Yeah. Um, so if yeah. you fix that, that's awesome. Yeah. 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 There's, I think ugh, some of the base of all of that just comes from knowledge. And I love, one of the things I love most about my job is just teaching people about their bodies and how they function. And I think that's a big thing with the women who have painful intercourse. Like, here's how your body works and here's the things you can do. And this is a common problem. And there are things that you can do to fix it and uh, talking it out and learning and just lovely. <laughs> it's funny how quickly we will just be like, this is the new normal. And yeah. It, yeah. we'll accept like some terrible thing and be like, well, that's just the way it is now. Yeah, yeah, nothing I could do about this. <laughs> so it looks like some of the primary things pelvic physical therapy can help with. Uh, we got incontinence, sexual dysfunction, pain, maybe even some mobility restrictions. Some of the best ways to help are going to be deep breathing, having a therapist manually work stuff like skin rolling and some of the internal stuff you can do digitally. 
and then strengthening the glute medius. Mm-hmm. Um, now the answer is always sit ups. So that's what it is. <laughs> no, it's not necessary. No, it's, it's, it's glute need. <laughs> um, frog bridges. Uh, so what? What are the top three things you would tell somebody looking to improve their pelvic floor? Right. The first thing would be to to breathe correctly. So to um, really engage through their belly and to do that deep breathing. The second would be to strengthen your core. <laughs> so strengthen it correctly. So actually not sit-ups. Uh, yes. We want to strengthen the deep core. So the TA and... Uh, transverse abdominis. Yeah, transverse abdominis and the glutes. So we think when we think of core, you think okay, not just your belly muscles, but like your hip muscles, your pelvic floor. Those are all part of your core. And then... Gosh, what would be my next one? Well, it's a, it's a toss-up between like education and awareness of your body and how it functions and probably like flexibility within the hip. Yeah. Both of those. And we could go all off on stress and sleep and just all that, the health components as well. Yeah. Now, what would you add on the stress and sleep? Don't be stressed and get sleep. Okay. <laughs> it's very, it's very technical. Because we talk about that a lot on this show. What do you think are some habit changes that need to happen to improve stress and sleep quality? Yeah, I think that if you do your diaphragmatic breathing nightly, I think that's a great start, at least. that's I, That would be my first step when I um, encourage people to do that. I'll say, before you go to bed, because that will help relax your body, kind of prep you for sleep. You're ready in bed. It feels relaxing. That seems like the most appropriate time to yeah. do it. Yeah. So, that sounds good. Nice and relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> we should whisper for the rest of the episode. Go to sleep now. Relax your pelvic floor. <laughs> <laughs> So thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom with us. If somebody wanted to get in contact with you, how would they do? My practice is called Empower Pelvic Floor Physical Therapy. It is in Cary, and my office is in Cary Integrative Health. Do you want my email, my phone number too? Let's do <laughs> all it. of it. All yeah, right. Let's do it. Alexis at empowerpelvicfloor.com, and my phone is 330-771-0770, because it's very lucky, and I chose that number when I was like 20. Awesome. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you got a lot of value out of today's episode. If you did, go check us out at firewithinnf.com and sign up for Refuel, a weekly email with recipes, videos, and tips to stoke the fire within. Also, you can join the Fire Within community by being added to our Facebook group. And don't forget to follow us on social media.